when there's no limit to the adventure. When new heroes are forged. When this isn't our first Owlbear Rodeo. That is when heroes rise. You stand between me and my lord and kin. Be gone. It is not our abilities that show what we truly are. It is our choices. Welcome, brave adventurers, to Heroes Rise. I'm Lennon, and joining us on our quest this evening are two of the wisest adventurers in the land. I'm Ostron. And I'm Ryu. And this is the 215th entry into our chronicle, recorded on Sunday, June 19th, and released Wednesday, June 22nd, over at HeroesRisePodcast.com. Okay, um, before we go any further, what is that smell? I, um... I, I don't, uh, smell anything. That wouldn't have anything to do with you recovering from the sudden introduction of a druid staff to your face, would it? N- no, but on that note, you know, good point. Next time I will knock before opening the scrying pool door. All right, that's good plan, but seriously, what is that smell? Oh, I'm, I'm sure it's nothing. Cinder probably got into the cheese supply again. You know how she gets with dairy. Well, it smells like it's coming from your adventurer's pack. Uh, no, 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 Oh, 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 that's disgusting. Whoa, oh, goodness. Astron, can you... C- can I vomit? Yeah? Can, can you do that magical Febreze thing? I, um, don't have prestidigitation prepared. Mm, seriously? What kind of wizard are you? Hang on. Okay, uh, the bag's ash now, but the smell... So, should we even ask? Okay, so, here's the thing. After last week where I, like, reused an adventurous pack from a previous episode, I started looking through a list of all the adventurous pack things, and there is so much stuff that was once an absolute staple of my games that is just dead. Uh, Cobalt Fight Club has gone the way of the dodo, Abulifa random generators are broken since MediaWiki did their update. Like, so much stuff like this is just dead. Um, if they're dead, why is that one still moving? Oh, that's just a Goblinist's 5th edition encounter builder. See, technically it's still alive, but I mean, come on, look at the state of it. Uh, According to this, it's going to be updated with Volo's Guide monsters any day now. Is, Is this a table leg? Quite definitely. Ordinary table like that. Actually, that's an ultimate gaming table like. And this is why we buy Dogmite. Sorry? Nothing, just making a constitution saving throw. You are right, though. There is a lot of dead stuff here. Like, a lot of dead stuff. Seems like every adventurer's pack is dead nowadays. Oh, no, that is definitely not true. In fact, here's one that's not only alive, but keeps getting better. Do you guys remember Limitless Adventures? We talked about it back on episode 78. As has been brought up many times before on our show, even the most well-laid-out adventures rarely survive an encounter with the players. If you are running a homebrew campaign, one thing that has happened quite frequently in my own group in the past is what I like to call DM's block, or just not knowing where to take the current story arc or getting thrown for such a loop from the players that you need to shift story gears very quickly and are in desperate need of inspiration. 
Even when running a published adventure, on more than one occasion, my players decided to take a route that was not listed as a possible solution in the book, and I had to make things up on the fly to fit with what they wanted to do while simultaneously trying to thread that new path back into the overarching storyline. It has also been my experience that the players will want to talk with someone that may have one line written about them in a published adventure, or someone that wasn't even there in the first place, like that apothecary that you had to randomly insert in whatever town the party came across because the ranger wanted some vials of poison to dip her arrows in. And then you have to provide said NPC cardboard cutout with a personality without much prep work. Well, fortunately, the guys at LimitlessAdventures.com have also experienced these DMing hardships and have done a lot of the prep work for you. To paraphrase the About section of their website, they offer several products to make your life as DM easier so you can spend less time prepping and more time playing. Things like environment-specific encounters, each with their own treasure, stat blocks, and continuing story hooks. Things like locations that can be linked together to form a larger area, each with its own history, its own NPCs, and its own maps. They have side quests that are setting agnostic to easily drop into whatever campaign you're running when your players inevitably go off the beaten path. And their newest venture is Limitless NPCs Volume 1. It's a compilation of over 100 NPCs, that are just detailed enough to drop straight into your game whenever, say, your warlock decides to allegedly release a saber-toothed tiger on the unsuspecting populace and needs to be questioned by the authorities and put on trial. Yes, that actually happened in one of my games. This is why nobody likes warlocks. <laughs> I actually backed the Kickstarter for the Limitless NPCs, and they're very well fleshed out. The options you get range from merchants who come complete with a full list of their wares to friends and foes, all the way up to some bigger bads that you might encounter. And each and every one of them is unique and they all come with full stat blocks, unique to that NPC treasure, and three distinct further adventure hooks. For example, if the party were to encounter Jib the Street Rat, he would make off with one of the party's coin purses, and if caught, he might tell the party that he only stole because he needs money to get his sister out of her current situation in which she is addicted to a new street drug called Mist. Or there's also Rothgar Frostbeard, who wears white dragon scale armor, who might encounter the party as a friend, but he's being hunted by a pair of white dragons who believe that his armor is made from their mother's hide. It's just a really great book when you need an NPC in a hurry. And from what I've seen of the other offerings on Limitless Adventures, they're all this same quality. Now, even though there are a few freebies on the site, most of the PDFs do have a price point associated with them. And I do kind of think that they are a bit high in the asking price. The smaller ones range from $1.99 to $5.99. And the larger compendiums, the ones for the encounters and monsters and NPCs, range from $15 to 
I was somewhat put off by this at first, but most of the smaller offerings are actually included in the larger ones. So you can save some money there if you want to get them piecemeal. And then the larger compendiums like the Limitless NPCs are very well balanced and very detailed. So I do personally think that they are justified in charging the prices that they do for their intellectual property. Another good thing about these is that once you purchase it, any future revisions to the products are free and they will send you an email whenever a revision happens so you can stay up to date. One last thing that I do want to bring up about these is that, at least on the Kickstarter for the Limitless NPCs, I was able to pledge for a softcover dead tree version, as our listener Shiv likes to call them. I'm not sure if that was a Kickstarter exclusive or not, but I have yet to find anything but the PDF versions on their website. Anyway, if you ever experience DM's Block, consider looking into these for inspiration. They really do come in handy when you're stuck. So I gave you guys my copy of Limitless NPCs to look over. What did you think about it? So one of the things that I did like about it is how it's divided into different sections. So you've got allies, contacts, foes, merchants, and arch enemies, as an example. And like you said, the merchants will come with their own inventory. Um, contacts and allies, there should be self-explanatory. The arch enemies section, one of the bits that I liked in there that they did, which I haven't actually seen in a lot of other resources that are similar, are uh, if you were to take one of the arch enemies in there, say you had to take one of the NPCs from here in the arch enemy section, for example, Arkan the Thief. There are several stat blocks for Arkan the Thief, each of them increasing in challenge rating as it goes along. So if your party first encounters him at, say, level 3, there's a CR3 version of Arkan the Thief there. If you then want Arkan to be a reoccurring villain, there's also stats for him at level 7, level 12, and level 17, so he can be a recurring presence throughout your adventure. Alternatively, if you're trying to design for a higher level adventure, you can just jump straight to the higher level stat block. But that evolution of the characters, I don't think I've seen in similar resources. They tend to just be one-off, here's your stat block at a given level, and if you need it at a higher level, you've got to adjust it yourself. This has done it for you, and even as part of the story hook section in there, give you ways that this could actually be an ongoing evolution yeah i i was really impressed by that myself and i wish like you said i wish more places would do that i mean i would actually go so far as to say i would be all over a book that just had here are enemy characters or even ally characters with evolving stat blocks depending on what tier the characters encounter them in and yeah, the stories of how they might have gotten from one level to the next are very good for moving the story along or explaining if the characters get interested how this person got higher up or got new powers or anything like that. Yeah, and going back to the price point of saying, you know, this PDF is $15.00. But considering you get over a hundred NPCs in there, you're looking at, what, 15 cents an NPC? Which, for the amount of work that's gone into them, is utterly nothing. Right. That's why I was really blown away by the amount of detail that was in there. I was thinking to myself, wow, I, 
I was almost afraid that I would have wasted money on this. And then I got it and it is so worth the price. Yeah, and all the NPCs in there are completely varied as well. So, you know, it goes from Bumbles, the shopkeeper who has messy blue hair that matches his rumpled blue robes, to Captain Squint, a small halfling in a tricorn hat that barks orders at men twice his size. And, you know, every single one of them has a distinct flavor and personality. There's not a lot of overlap in here from what I've seen. And yeah, no, really good resource. I think there's a couple of dragons in here as well, you know, because <laughs> that's just how they go. There, the other thing that I noticed is they don't advertise it that I could see, but the book also includes a few creatures and spells as well as the NPCs, because some of them are given their own um, specific creature companions or creature uh, nemeses, and some of them are spellcasters who have special focuses. So you can, in addition to the named NPCs to use as other characters, you've got a couple of extra spells and creatures that come as part of the whole package here. Now, I don't know if those spells are taken from other resources that they also provide. Um, so it's possible that there may be some overlap if you pick this up in conjunction with some of their other products. But even so, if you just pick up this volume by itself, you're getting a certain number of extra materials that aren't NPCs in addition to all of the great NPC material. Yeah, and it's not just spells and additional monsters. There's also, if you take, for example, some of the bartenders, they've got stat blocks on how to run certain dice games or how to play card games and things like that as well. It really does give you a complete package for any given individual, like you were saying. So that same detail that's in all of these NPCs, I'm seeing the exact same detail and the exact same uniqueness on all of their other products. So if you guys go to their website and you look at the sample that they have on, I believe it's in Limitless Encounters Volume 1. So it's an encounter with what they call nightcaps and deep crabs. There's a deep crab that has its own stat block. And then you can add in baby deep crabs, which have the same stats as a giant crab that would be in the monster manual. And growing on these deep crabs are these mushrooms called nightcaps. And if you defeat one of them, you might be able to harvest some of these mushrooms. And when you throw them at something, it has the same effect as a sleep spell. Nice. And then each of the encounters also have those same three further adventure hooks. So one of the three further adventure hooks that they have for the nightcaps and deep crabs is the crab's nest, if located, could contain treasure and clues on the rotting corpses dragged there. So there's lots of things that allow you to add to your campaign if you're stuck on something. And that is what I really love about these. And I think I'm going to buy all of them. So if you guys remember, we also talked about another one of Limitless Adventures products called Blood Queen's Defiance on episode 105. And then our DM, Indigo Spectre, talked about it during the quest log in episode 145. 
And that was something that I really loved of their products. So since we talked about their original stuff in episode 78, and since we talked about Blood Queen's Defiance, Limitless Adventures has come out with a ton of new stuff. Most of it is a bunch of new one-off 5th edition adventures, but they also have some more polished adventures that are more fully fleshed out for making into a full campaign. They also have a new Limitless Encounters Volume 3 book, and two new DMless adventures, Journey to Barrel's Reach and Valbrick's Silver Ring. So, have you played any of the DMless adventures that are new here yourself? I have not played the new ones yet, but Blood Queen's Defiance was so much fun and has so much replayable value. I right. can't imagine that these will be any different. And see, that was what I was going to ask about the replayability, because Journey to Barrel's Reach, I liked the premise of that one. And so I was considering picking that up because that's a uh, uh, part of the same uh, trilogy as yeah. Blood Queen's Defiance, isn't it? It's part two, um, mm-hmm. but it can be played standalone. And th- that was sort of going to be part of my question is, if you have played them, how would you evaluate them as standalone versus all in with with Blood Queen's Defiance. I'm a little unclear. So there are a couple of different resources that list encounters. Are those just literally sort of random table generation encounters, or are they their name for one-shots, or which is it? Are you talking about the Limitless Encounters Volumes 1, 2, and 3, or are you talking about the one-off adventures that they have, like Cloudburst Keep or Whitechapel? Well, I was mostly looking at the Limitless Encounters, but they've also got a couple of other things that are just called Encounters, or the title just says, like, an area, like Jungle or Planar City, and the description says Encounters. So those are literally just Encounters that you can generate for wandering around. So a lot of those one-off encounters are things that are included in the Limitless Encounters books, but you can buy them separately if you don't want to buy the whole book. Mm-hmm. Oh, so for example, the Village of Farwater is included in Limitless Encounters 2, but if you just want that one particular thing so that you can drop it into a homebrew world, you can get it for a couple of bucks. Yes. Okay. Neat. Well, unfortunately, I think my wallet's going to cry after this. I'm, gonna, I'm <laughs> adding things to the cart as we speak. Me too. So, okay, I can actually think of one other resource that was one that I covered that still would qualify as alive and well and possibly even thriving, and that would be Hero Forge, which we first covered back in episode 16. So it's probably a good thing Lennon couldn't make it to this recording because I'm going to introduce something that will probably again have him accuse me of trying to bankrupt him and ruin his wallet. I'm talking about HeroForge.com. Now, you may remember a couple of episodes ago, I introduced the Reaper Mini site, which has a wide variety of models for use as player characters or monsters or what have you. Um, However, despite their collection being quite substantial, there is always the possibility that there'll be a model that you have in your head or a character idea in your mind, and you can't actually find the perfect miniature to match what your vision is. The answer to that problem is Hero Forge. 
Uh, Hero Forge is a site that was kickstarted quite some time ago, but basically they've taken advantage of the wider availability of 3D printing for consumers and set up a site where you can design your very own character model. You can customize it to quite an impressive amount. You can select a race for the model, which includes regular humans and fairly standard humanoids like elves and half-elves and stuff like that. However, they also have the ability to do larger humanoids, which could be useful for something like goliaths or half-orcs. You can also do shorter ones like halflings or gnomes, and they even have some esoteric options, like they have horns that can be included on heads for building tieflings or other demonic creatures. And they also have lizard-type heads and more anthropomorphic heads if you're trying to make dragonborn or lizardmen or lycanthropes or something like that. On top of those customization options, there are a plethora of outfits from regular rags up to full plate armor. You can also give the characters a wide variety of items, including rods and staffs for wizards, swords of simple design or some more elaborate ones if you want there to be a particularly special weapon or a magic one. They can also even put spell effects like a glowing orb or a flame in their hands. And it even gets down to the details of modifying facial expressions. So you can make a model that's shouting or sneering or glaring. Basically whatever you could want. Then at the larger level, you can select a pose for the character. For example, you could have them with their arms up as if they're ready to fight or crouching as if they're sneaking along or ready to dive forward or quite a wide variety of different poses that are available. In addition to putting things in people's hands, you can also put items on belts or slung on the back. So if you want to create a character that has two weapons in their hands but has a bow slung across their back, then that's an option. And they have a wide variety of other customization options like hats or hairstyles or things like that. You could probably quite literally create a thousand different models off of the options they have here or more. So that's the good news about the site. Now the more worrisome news. First of all, the major shock you're going to get after playing around with designing a model is when you go to possibly consider ordering the models are available in a variety of different materials, including what they call base plastic, high quality plastic, which is what would match most of the models that are sold commercially by companies like Reaper. They also, for variety, have the ability to order models in steel or bronze, which if for some reason your adventuring group has designed a an adventuring party and they want to immortalize them, getting them all done up in bronze might be a neat way to do it. However, the high quality plastic models start at $30 a piece, which particularly when you compare that to the prices on Reaper is quite a pretty penny. When you get up to bronze, you're talking pretty close to $100 a model, although 
those are specialized items. So if you're thinking about getting bronze anyway, you probably have some idea that you're not ordering a regular item. Beyond that, ordering the models is not quick. They have a decent shipping time and processing time, but two to three weeks is the average I've heard from other people who've ordered models from the site. I myself have ordered at least one, and that was my experience. So you definitely aren't going to get these quick, at least, as again, as compared to some other modeling sites that have a faster shipping ability. The other things to keep in mind... When you're designing the model, it gives you a 3D computer graphic image of what the model is going to look like. That image is very accurate for the most part. As you design and select different options, what appears in the 3D graphic is what you're going to get on the eventual printed model. However, that again is a double-edged sword, even if you didn't select one, because the quirks of having different items show up on the model will translate into how it's printed. So for example, if you put a crossbow on a character's back and then have them in a pose that pulls their arms back beyond their chest and the crossbow starts clipping into a shoulder, when the model's printed, that crossbow will still be clipping into the shoulder. It won't get adjusted so the crossbow is now sitting over a bicep or anything like that. So if you design the 3D model with the options you want and something is just literally cutting into another part of the model, if you don't adjust it and end up just printing it, that's how it's going to look when it comes out. Whether or not that bothers you is mostly a matter of personal taste, but it's something you need to be aware of. The other thing, and this is not universal, when you order a model done in the high-quality plastic, depending on what items you select, some of the joins can end up being very narrow, and on occasion people have reported the plastic being very brittle, so that it can snap under stress. This seems to be a hit-or-miss type thing, and it's possible it was a problem with earlier models that Hero Forge has subsequently corrected, but just buyer beware, that's a possible issue that can come up. I believe that Hero Forge is willing to replace the models if that occurs, but that is a fairly time-consuming process because they would have to verify the problems with the original model, and then you have to get another one shipped out, which, as I mentioned, can take some time. Despite that, however, if you have the funds that would allow you to order a model such as this, there really is no better option for getting a character model to look exactly the way you want it, decked out exactly as how you imagined it. And that's the end of my spiel. I actually played with this a few weeks ago, mostly just out of curiosity. I was making a character for a one-shot. They didn't seem to have much specifically for the race that I was making, which was the, I'm going to say it wrong... Water Gensai? Ganassi? Ganassi. Ganassi, whatever. Anyway, but the designing process of it was really good. They had a lot of options. You could go for the less armor is more protection method or the actual armor is better protection method, depending on who you are. Um, they had street clothes. They had flip-flops. I don't remember if I saw flip-flops. I really wasn't. I wasn't concentrating on feet. They did have. uh, Ostron was talking about 
things you can put in their hands. And they've got all kinds of weapons that you can put in hands. They have, like, what I imagine are probably potion bottles. They have one potion bottle or bottle with, like, smoke coming out of it. Big, long thing of smoke and booze. I mean, of course, lots of lots of booze options. Flip-flops are an option. Yep. They're the thong sandals. Yes. <laughs> wow. That's something I forgot to mention. This isn't limited to fantasy options. They have regular modern-style clothing or period clothing, and they also have some options for futuristic outfits as well. On a mini, it doesn't really matter, I guess. I did kind of wish that they had, like, gills or even just being able to adjust the size of the ears, because I wanted the fin ears, but they were, like, ginormous. Would have been nice to be able to make them a little smaller. (laughs) But it was a pretty neat resource. I can't afford to actually have one made, but... It was really fun to play with. Yeah, more often if I go to this site, I will play around with it rather than ordering. I've only ever ordered one miniature, but I have in my profile like eight designs for miniatures. (laughs) I believe that I heard Baxter say earlier today, maybe it was yesterday, that he would have liked to be able to use it when he was making a token for a new character. Because I suppose you could create something in there and then just screenshot it and use it as a character picture or something in an online game. Yeah, which that is another thing. Apart from printing the physical models, they do offer the ability to download the design as a 3D model. Oh, I didn't see that. It's under material. If you download it as a digital download as a 3D model, you can either put it in a 3D modeling program and dress it up even further if you want to use it as an element in program that'll support it. Or if you have your own 3D printer, you can use that to print out the model yourself. Although I imagine the number of people that particular (laughs) use applies to is somewhat limited. I would love to have my own 3D printer. So speaking of... I love Hero Forge. I have every single character that I've ever made already modeled in Hero Forge. I've only paid for the download one time, though, and I've just used the other ones as just visual references for myself. But I am also lucky enough to live very close to a maker lab, and one of my players slash co-DM or switch-off DM from time to time, he's the one who ran our Strahd campaign, works at the Maker Lab. So he actually offered to make all of us our minis if we downloaded the model from the site. So we all got digital downloads and uh, we all modeled out our characters and got digital downloads and he went into the Maker Lab and he paid for the materials, but resin is stupid cheap. So aside from the $10 each of us spent to get our digital download, I think it cost him $5 maybe wow. to to make all of the minis for us. Yeah, the raw material for printing the models in plastic is much cheaper than having them do it. Did it lose any detail? I know when I was looking at it, it I It really mean, didn't. Oh, that's great. Because I know that they said on the cheap plastic, well, it could come out a little less detailed than the other materials. And I was like, oh, that's stinky. It doesn't lose much. Yeah, and plus, if he was using, if he had access to an actual printing lab, they probably had higher quality plastic there that they could use. It just ends up being cheaper because 
you know, they buy it by the 55-gallon drum. Right. (laughs) I do want to reiterate, that was $5 for seven or eight minis, Mm. and not not $5 each. That was five for all seven or eight. I had been tempted on seeing if any of my friends in cosplay had a 3D printer and were willing to do a mini for me, but then I'm like... I don't have any physical games going on, so I really don't need a mini. It would just be like, I want a mini. (laughs) Yeah, I feel that way too. I do want to say, though, that in making my spellcasting characters and going through the different spell effects that they have, depending on the pose of the character, the spell effect can look really odd. Yeah? So just keep that in mind if you want to put a spell effect on your mini. Like a fireball or something? Is that what you mean by spell Yeah. Effect? The, most of the fireballs, uh, it, they call it the projectile spell effect. The fireballs don't look bad, really. They can be at a weird angle, but like the large flame spell effect, just it looks really weird to me. Hmm. So that's just something to keep in mind if you're making a spellcaster. But other than that, I really love Hero Forge, and if you are lucky enough, like myself, to live near a Maker Lab, then go find it and you can make your minis pretty cheap. So I think the additions to Hero Forge that have been made have come up a couple of times in passing, but we've never really focused on them since the original coverage. And man, have they been busy. So originally they just did standard 25 millimeter size figures that were humanoid and you could add armor and weapons and a few different poses. Now, to start with, they have models that can be basically any race from D&D to begin with, as well as a few races that aren't included in D&D. And that does include centaurs, by the way. Uh, And related to that, they have the ability to do what they call extra-large models, which are models whose scale goes a little bit closer to 30 millimeter or maybe even 35 millimeter. The models themselves are taller. And in addition to allowing you to make characters like minotaurs or centaurs that look appropriately sized... You can also take these smaller models now and put them on mounts. And the number of mounts that they have available is fairly wide-reaching. On top of that, they are now capable of printing models in color, which you can do on screen. And even if you don't want to order a colored model, a lot of us who paint our own models have found it pretty useful to just test out what a model's outfit and skin tone and such would look like with different colors applied. So you can now also customize the bases they're on. They have more poses. You can actually customize the poses. So they have a couple of presets, but if you want them doing like a a YMCA pose of any of the letters, you can have them do that. And the list of equipment and stuff that you can put on the models is just way too extensive now. If you go into the different covering sections, they have subcategories now 
three rows of subcategories in most cases because they just have that much stuff that you can put on them. And I mean, the downside being that it's still pretty expensive and it gets even more so the more stuff you add on. Like if you take an extra large model, color it, put it in a custom pose and customize the base, even if you're still using regular plastic, you can get it to cost more than 50 US dollars. But at this point, they are capable of producing almost anything you could want for a humanoid figure. And they are still just adding more stuff basically every month. I am loving the additions to the species list. I am still right? scrolling down. Yeah. The best thing about the species list as well is that even if you want a species that isn't technically supported, if you Google uh, for a hero forged model of the species that you want, you can actually find people who are sharing links to what is effectively a kit bashed version of it. Um, there's one, for example, um, there is no squirrel race that is officially listed, or at least asterisk, last time I checked there wasn't. But what we were able to find when we were looking for that is there is one listed on a website where somebody has just shared the link to the thing that they made, which is it's like a rabbit's head without the ears with a fox's tail that's been resized according to this. But it works. It works so well for like a really custom kitbashed mini on there that you wouldn't know wasn't actually that race. And one of the new things that they've added is instead of getting the mini itself, you can get a portrait or a custom token done of your character. Yes. Which yeah. you can upload to virtual tabletops, uh, either directly supported or just as an image. Yeah, and speaking of virtual tabletops, that is true. Um, there are just some items in the Adventures Pack that just keep going from strength to strength. I mean, honestly, I can't remember a digital game that I've ran where I've not used Owlbear Rodeo, which we first talked about back in episode 136. So it may have escaped your attention somehow, and if it has, I would love to know how, but... We appear to be in the middle of somewhat of a global pandemic. It means that a lot of in-person games haven't been able to take place, and depending on which country you're in, you're basically in and or out of lockdown at any given time, being given really confusing advice about who you can meet up with, where, why, when, and how. So a lot of people have taken to cancelling their D&D games in person, and virtual tabletop use has taken off massively. There are four main virtual tabletops though that tend to kind of rule this space and when everybody first went into lockdown you know all the questions that we were being asked is oh what what's the best one to use which one should i do and it's that's one of those questions that's actually really difficult to answer but um essentially it comes down to like i said those four virtual tabletops and they range from relatively simple to just requiring a doctorate to actually do anything with these virtual tabletops are roll 20 which is honestly probably one of the most accessible out there. It allows you to add character sheets, you've got the battle map, you can do tokens, macros, dynamic lighting, everything, it's all there. 
The next stage up from that is arguably Astral VTT, which very similar to Roll20, but takes things to the next level again. After that, you've got one called Foundry VTT. Foundry VTT is one where it's so extensible that there are plugins you can get where you can give it an official Pathfinder 2nd Edition PDF, and it will process it, it will strip out every map, every stat block, every token, and it will just import it all, put it in your game for you, you do not even have to do any setup. It is that powerful. And then finally at the end, Fantasy Grounds, which... <sighs> yeah. So, all of those, all of that being said, those four virtual tabletops are pretty much the ones that rule the roost. I would like to introduce you guys to a fifth virtual tabletop that has quickly become my favourite one to use, Owlbear Rodeo, which you can find at www.owlbear.rodeo, is one of the best that I've used in terms of simplicity, but it's also got enough features that it makes it really good to use, particularly for D&D games. So what sets this one apart from everything else? Well. As I said, it's a really simple virtual tabletop, so this is where the cons will start to come in. There are no character sheets attached, because it's not specifically designed for 5th edition or anything like that. This is a virtual tabletop and it is trying to replicate getting a, a battle map out at the table, adding the tokens in and doing what you need. There are no macros. You cannot save anything to it. The best that it's got is a digital dice roller. There is no voice and video chat. There is no API. There is no plugins, no extensible modules. There is no fantasy grounds, but I'm going to stick that one back in the pros list. So there's also no accounts. You do not need to sign up, which honestly, when I've had to move games online, one of the biggest hurdles has been getting all of my players to go to sign up to join the game link. Nothing like that with this. You simply open owlbear.rodeo, you get two options, create a game or join a game. If you hit create a game, it randomly generates you a game with a lobby. You can just paste that URL to your players and they can join in. If they hit join a game, they can type in an access code that you get given as the DM when you've created a game. So it can go one of two ways. Because of this, it is really quick to get your players in. So quick, in fact, I have given Ryu and Ostron a link to the game that I am currently running on Owlbear Rodeo because I am convinced that I will not need to teach them how this works for them to actually jump in and be able to play with it. They have as well a decent amount of tokens already built in, and these are generic looking. So you've got a double-headed axe, one with a loot, there's sort of like a compass rose, a leaf, two cross swords, a fist, um, a shield, so you know these are your, your player character ones, but then they've also got a an eye, a wing, a dragon, a stag, an imp, a goblin. These make it very very quick. As a DM you can just drag the tokens that you need straight onto the battle map. I said it has a lot of built-in backgrounds. What my players are currently looking at, which Ryu will be able to attest, is a map of Neverwinter Woods. I uploaded this just as a title screen, but if I click the map button where it says on my screen to select map, they have a blank gridded section and then they've got one with a grass texture, one with sand, one with stone, one with water, and I'm just going to switch everybody over to the stone map right now. It is currently blank because I haven't done anything with it, but it has these textures built in, so if you're used to using something like Arknight's plastic flip mats, or indeed any of those sort of just gridded dry white boards, this is a simple, really good replacement for that. So much like using 
dry erase battle maps, you then also have an option to uh, draw on these maps. You get a paintbrush and you can draw squares, you can draw circles, you can change the color of it and everything snaps to grid. So if you want to draw a very quick room layout, this is incredibly, incredibly easy to do. You just simply click where you want and you can uh, just draw with pens. Now, when you load in a map, you do get the option as the GM to switch on or off the ability for players to draw on the map and for players to add tokens to the map. I tend to leave it so that my players can do whatever. Obviously, you as a GM, your mileage may vary there. Uh, the drawing tools, though, are quite simple. If you're used to anything like Microsoft Paint, it's easy. You've got a flood fill, you've got a triangle, you've got a circle, you've got a square, you've got a line, you've got a color select, you've got an eraser. It, it's easy to do. Uh, the next tool that you then get is a measurement tool. So if you need to measure how far something is in terms of grid squares, you just call that up and then you get three options. You get the grid, you get the straight line, and then you get the city block distance. As a, the DM, you can customize what each of these different scales are. So if you're on a hex map, for example, you might want it to be five miles rather than five feet per square and you get to toggle all that on. And then lastly, you get a laser pointer. It's just a pointer tool and people can see exactly where you're pointing because you just click and it works like a laser pointer. One of my other favorite things about this though is that unlike something like Roll20 where it comes completely blank, you have to import tokens, you have to import maps, so you've got all that here. If you want to import tokens and you want to import maps, it is lightning to do so. Uh, just as an example, I am now going to upload for my players a map that I've got here of the Sword Coast, the entirety of the Sword Coast. This image is huge, the one that I'm about to upload. It is uh, 10,200 pixels by 6,600 pixels, and the image itself as a JPEG weighs in at 55 megabytes. This isn't a small map. It's the big one of the Sword Coast that you can see everything in in detail. Right now, I'm going to hit the upload button now. Just for people so that they're aware, I have a 10 meg upload connection, which is quite standard, and the map is done. Uh -huh. I now just hit the done button, and it should transfer my players onto this ginormous map of the Sword Coast, which they should be able to zoom in on and read every single last town, detail, everything. If you were to try and do that in Roll20, you would have crashed your browser by this point. I am not kidding, because I have tried it. I have done it. I have cried. This program handles large maps like an absolute boss. Speaking of maps, once you have loaded them all in, because you don't have an account, you might be wondering how it remembers your library and everything like that. It literally stores it in your browser cache. So if you empty out your browser cache, you will lose any maps that you've already created. Um, it, it does use local storage for those who have a little bit more HTML programming knowledge as opposed to direct cache. But, you know, if you do the whole thing where you clear out your cookies and everything like that, there is a possibility that you lose your maps. So be careful, maybe add this one to the whitelist if you don't want it to get uh, removed. But because it stores it in your browser cache, it means that you can set up maps ahead of time. Uh, I uploaded that Sword Coast map on the fly. For everybody playing along, in my Discord channel, which is just Rio and Osteron, here's a map I prepared earlier that I have also added Fog of War to, because Fog of War is another tool that you got. Hopefully, all that my players should be able to see are their tokens, which Ostron has a spellbook, Ryu has a dagger, and I've set myself up with a leaf. 
I've also, on the tokens, added a black circle around Ryu's token because clearly she's the rogue, so she's stealthy, and Ostron being the mage, I put a purple circle because he's got mage armor on, so you can use this to keep track of status conditions and everything like that. As the players then explore using the Fog of War tool, it works pretty much the same as uh, Fog of War on any other VTT that you've ever used. You get the option of um, just drawing, removing, adding Fog of War with a Flood Field tool. So as your players start to explore the dungeon, you can start opening up more and more sections of it. As the GM, what is really good is I get an opacity layer, so I can still see the rest of the map, even though they see complete blackness outside of the bits that have been revealed to them. But I can toggle that on for me as well, so I can see exactly what my players are looking at every single time. So, one other thing that this does really, really well is audio sharing. For anybody who has tried running a virtual tabletop game, Roll20 has audio built in kind of from tabletop audio, but it can be a bit of a pain in the backside. Sirenscape have a web player, which honestly, that can take an absolute ton of setup. What I can do on this is because it's built with modern technologies is they have an option called Start Radio. I don't know why they call it that, but whatever. I then get the option of sharing an application on my computer or a browser tab. So I'm gonna opt to share a browser tab. The browser tab that I'm sharing right now is Tabletop Audio. And I know that people listening at home won't be able to hear this, but what Ryu and Ostron should now be hearing is a uh, soundtrack called Waterkeep. It has carts, it has a little bit of harp music playing in the background. They have not had to load up anything whatsoever on their end. I am just streaming this to them direct from my browser. And because I'm running it off my browser through Tabletop Audio, I have access to everything that Tabletop Audio offer, including the sound pads, all the different musical tracks. I can control it, I can use their player. If I had something like, I don't know, a Windows Media Player playlist or Spotify, I could share that as an application. It also means that because I am just sharing tabs with them, that I can share something, say, off of YouTube. So if I haven't downloaded everything that I want, I can just share that across with them. And when I say share the tab, it doesn't literally show them the screen. They just hear the audio that is playing in that tab, which should be coming through to them right about now. <laughs> the reason Ryu is laughing is because I am forcing them to listen to Rick Astley's Never Gonna Give You Up, which I think everybody will agree is a classic 80s hit. Um, anyway, enough of that. I'll close that because that's also annoying me and I'm going to start singing. Um, in addition to that, it has a timer. Uh, I can just simply call up a timer. So if they are under pressure, they will now see, as I have hit the start timer for one minute button, a progress bar at the bottom of the screen that is slowly depleting. That is the amount of time before this map gets exploded. So just to let you guys know. And lastly, of course, the, <laughs> lastly, of course, the dice rolling. Up in the top left, uh, there is a tiny, tiny little square button. And I want to call attention to this because I also put this under the con. Um, if you do not know that it is there, that is where your dice tray is. If you haven't explored and you haven't clicked it, you will not know. Once you have clicked it though, you can bring out a dice tray. It looks like a wooden dice box. And then you just click the dice that you want to add and it automatically rolls. So if you want to roll 2d20s, you tap the 20 button twice. If you want to roll 15d6, then you tap the d6 button 15 times. By default, it will not show anybody else what you have rolled. There is a little option to toggle, it looks like an earth symbol, like a globe, that will share your dice rolls with everybody else in the chat. Um, but by default, that is toggled off. 
The disadvantage to this dice roller is one, it does digital representations in 3D of physical dice, and I, I dislike that personally, but I know that Ooh. people like it. <laughs> Ryu just rolled a natural 20, by the way, in case you're wondering what that noise was. Um, <laughs> and two, if you want to re-roll, you can pick up the dice and physically throw them around in the tray. Uh, there is a re-roll button in the bottom right, but oftentimes what I found you have to do is, is hit the little clear dice tray button in the bottom left, the cross and then re-roll your numbers from scratch. It doesn't take long to do. Uh, it is just a case of clicking a, a few buttons. But it is just, like I said, that bit's not quite my flavor. I kind of wish they just had a textual representation as well as the 3D or in exchange for. Um, having said all of that, though, this virtual tabletop, like I said, is is now basically my favorite. I use this to run a Star Trek Adventures game, which is you know, if my players are wondering why there's several Starfleet uniforms and, uh, you know, a massive red alert symbol, that's that's why that's there, because I used this previously. Uh, but the good thing about it was I didn't have to prep those players. I literally just said, OK, here's the battle map. Here's where your characters are. What are you guys doing? And just minds were blown. It is as simple to use this as it is to actually get a map out at your table and run. It requires no prep. There is no sign up. There are no accounts. It is not overcluttered with character sheets and macros. That could be a downside for you guys. If you're after something that does interface in that sense, then things like Roll20 is still going to be a better option. But for me, Owlbear Rodeo is definitely one of my favorite virtual tabletops, and I will be using this going forwards. So, guys, like I said, I threw this at you because I didn't think that you would need to be taught how to use it. What are your thoughts on it? Lay it on me. I really like this. It is great, isn't it? I love that you can add in your own tokens and that it's saved to your browser cache. Mm -hmm. Although, if you are someone like me who regularly clears out their browser cache, that might not be a great option, but right. But for other people, it would be. But you could add it to you can add this site to your whitelist of not clearing out the cache, and uh, it'll it'll save anything that you've uh, already uploaded. Now, going back to the circles that can be put around the tokens mm -hmm. there are 12 different colors and you can put every single one around your token it just keeps going in concentrically and it's actually somewhat eye jarring to be able to do that but if you wanted every single status effect in the book on your character you can do that although once you hit about 10 concentric circles you have a really hard time seeing the middle rings. Yes. Relatedly, um, I was playing around with the dice roller, and if you use the 3D visual representation, which you sort of have to, um, it starts getting a little um, stressed when you use over 40 dice. But <laughs> hey, Ostrom, um, pro tip: <laughs> don't. Well, I was gonna say for a completely browser-based program uh, representing something like the forty dice, that's actually it's impressive that it was working as well as it did. Mm -hmm. um, and it was also kind of funny because the dice tray like literally stopped having room for all the dice so they started sort of piling on top of one another but <laughs> I still got you know dice roll results but yeah so um, the capabilities of this for what it has are fairly impressive I am curious because you said that it has snap to grid functionality 
Yes. Um, how does that work? Because I know one of the largest headaches I have with roll 20 is if you have a map with a grid drawn on it, trying to reconcile that with roll 20's internal grid is a perennial pain in the neck. Yeah. So this map that you're actually looking at now, I've enabled the grid on. And as you can see, um, it has done a fairly accurate um, example of, of uh, snapping to the squares. Um, it, it's more when you drag your token, it'll like lock as soon as it hits grid lines. Mm -hmm. um, what you do when you import this map is uh, you tell it how many columns by how many rows. And it figures it out based on the resolution of the map dividing X by Y and then puts the grid over the top. Okay. So And it's it's not perfect, but it does seem to be a little Yeah. I say this one isn't perfect. I did literally throwing it up as we were playing, and so I haven't actually counted. I just took a rough guess that this was a twenty-eight by twenty-two, but Oh, okay. You know, I might be slightly off if I actually spent some time counting the individual squares, then that'd be easier to do. Um the other thing, of course, is if I were to disable Snap to Grid, um, and because this map does have a grid on it already, then it would still work. You would still have fluid motion and you would be able to measure in scale and everything like that. Also, also I'm having way too much fun with this pointer tool. Yeah, the laser pointer. It literally just looks like a laser pointer. It's like a little zippy line. I like it a lot. Line. It's got a tail. It does. Yeah. I'm easily amused. Uh -huh. <laughs> Although I don't know if Lennon was just ignoring us, but based on reuse and my activities during the uh, presentation, it's probably best to disable your player's ability to freely draw and drag tokens around. Uh, yeah. Yes, yeah, because from what I'm looking at now, there's a massive smiley face between Netherwinter and Thundertree. There is an absolutely massive dragon called actually Ryu in the top right-hand corner, followed by a tiny token of a dagger called Ryu, who appears to be in front of the word high, which has been just graffitied across the landscape. So yes, I wasn't paying attention to you guys whilst talking. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's uh, that's Owlbear Rodeo. Like I said, quickly becoming my favourite virtual tabletop tool. Every time I play with it, I find something new. Uh, for example, the um, ability to set up maps in advance. I actually had that listed as a con that there was no way to do that because I didn't realise how it was saving to your browser. But once you've made a map uh, and you've put tokens and everything like that on there, you can just load it in. It loads in instantly. Nice. I've just switched to my players to the one that I was using for a Star Trek Adventures game, and they can see that I've got the red alert and the uh, sorry, the threat and the momentum tokens already on there. Um, so you can go ahead and set these up ahead of time. And unlike something like Roll Twenty, where it takes ages to reload the scene, it literally just is. As soon as I hit go, they're now on the new map, full of all the new tokens, all the new dynamic lighting, and everything like that. Apparently it knew that I was coming because the random name it gave me was White Dragon. Yes, that is another thing. When your players first join, it gives them a random name. Uh, so Ryu got named White Dragon and Ostron got named Chimera. But there is a little pencil down in the bottom left that you can click to actually type in your proper name if you wanted to do that. Um, the, no, I'm good. I'm going to keep White Dragon. I figured you would. Yeah. <laughs> the other thing is, like I was saying for the DM, it stores all the maps and everything in the browser cache. It will also store your player name in your browser cache. So every game that you connect to, you will be known as White Dragon unless you change it. And that's all Not without self. creating an account. Don't clear my cash for a while. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And Ostron has just renamed himself Rostro, so that is a great time to sweep this out. And since then, it's basically stayed exactly the same. Now, 
hang on, hang on, guys. Don't give me those looks. I Trust me, trust me. What they realized is they wanted to make so many changes that it would actually essentially require a new version number. So not only is it still alive and thriving, it is actively evolving. And right now there is a private beta for Owlbear Rodeo 2.0 that's happening. That will run through until the 9th of July when it will go into a public beta. That will then run for a month where they will bug fix, etc. Straight up to the release of 2.0 on the 9th of August. And following on from that, I'll discuss some of the changes to Owlbear Rodeo 2.0 shortly. If you don't like the sound of the changes that they're making, version 1 will be released as open source, which means if you have a bit of technical know-how or you have a friend who has a bit of technical know-how, you'll be able to download the source code for Owlbear Rodeo 1.0 and continue to use it, run it on your own hosted system, etc. So some of the changes that they are making. To begin with, um, everything that they discuss is over on the Owlbear Rodeo blog. You can find links to that in the show notes. Oh gosh, I don't even know where to start on this. So they are basically re-architecting the entire thing. They wanted to make some UI changes. That was how it all started. So they've cleaned up the UI. And then they thought, hey, it'd be nice if we could share dice rolls with other players. So currently, when you roll dice, the virtual dice, you can only see the uh, total of the results that your fellow players have rolled. You can't see the individual dice. Now they've made it so you can do that. Um, That all comes up in a nice chat log on the side of the screen. You'll be able to scroll through for history on it. They've got a series of new tokens. The tools are also basically identical, but the way that they function is being drastically shifted. And that is because with Albert Rodeo 2.0, this version is going to be entirely cloud hosted. Currently, it works peer to peer. That means that I, as the host, have all the files on my machine. And when Ostron connects in and he wants to download my map for the first time, it has to send it from my computer to Ostron's. And if I don't have the greatest connection, then it takes forever to actually send. With the new version, it's going to be hosted. And so they've re-architected how it works in the background. There's a lot of semantic changes, but overall what's happening is what used to be called a map is now called a scene. And on a scene, you can add maps, characters, props, mounts, attachments, and basically everything has been decoupled from a purpose. Even though it has a name like a map or a character or a mount, you'll be able to toggle and change the state of it. So you could have a character that is a minotaur and then switch it to being a mount and then attach another character token to it. They're keeping it quite loose and fluid in that regard. As mentioned, all of this is going to be cloud-hosted, so they will be charging subscriptions. There will be multiple tiers, um, starting with everybody's favourite price, free. And then there will also be a $3.99 a month tier and a $7.99 a month tier. That will just basically give you more storage and um, the ability to permanently save a custom game URL, which is some functionality that was asked for for a long time. They are also adding a plugins system so that you will be able to write and share plugins. They've also got a ton of just quality of life features. So for example, in the old version, if I dragged a token from one spot to the other, Ostrom would only see when I let go of the token where the token was moving to. This made it difficult to try to show how a patrol would work because I would have to keep dropping the token in order to update their view. Now they have a system called awareness. If a token is tagged as being aware, when somebody moves it, that is updated in real time on everyone's screens. They also have what's called view syncing, which is something that was requested so that a DM can lock the camera and when they move their entire map around, 
everybody else's map will also follow on their view. Aside from that, there's been a lot of changes um, to the way that attachments work. They are also uh, have completely redesigned the fog tool, so now it can do circles and it doesn't just snap to awkward shapes. Effectively, it's evolving, it's being tidied up, it's really taking it to the next sort of step with the way that the tools will function, the way that it's going to be a properly hosted infrastructure. Um, even things like the ruler is now being updated, so you can draw a measurement and then snap a token to it and have the token move exactly along that ruler rather than having to do it before where you had to remember where it was pointing to etc lots of changes coming for this down the path it is definitely a tool that i am not only happy to continue using right now but i fully intend on actively supporting when it finally switches to the subscription model because there is so much stuff that is going to be changing and the best thing that i like about it is that if you're the dm you get all of this to play around with if you're just a player it actually compared to our bear rodeo 1.0 it's still practically the same system. No accounts are necessarily created. You click the link that your DM provides. All the tools are basic on there for you. You've got your tokens at the bottom, measurements on the side, and honestly, you may not notice much difference other than a cleaner UI. But for DMs, the amount of flexibility that is being added into this just makes it even better than it was before. So I have used Owlbear Rodeo pretty much exclusively since you mm -hmm. first told us about it. And I just love it. Especially the fog tool. That has been my favorite part of it so far. Now, they might have something similar with Roll20 now, but at the time, it at least was not on the free tier. It, there might have been something like that on the paid tiers for Roll20, but the fog tool has been my most favorite part of it. Right, and the new version of the fog tool will allow you to not just create shapes like uh, squares or drawing the polygon style they will have hexagons triangles and circles built in and it will also snap to grid very easily and if you have a piece of fog that is within an area that you've already revealed you'll be able to toggle it on and off in a single click you can basically create zones and map them out in the fog view you can actually already do that one that is why i like it so much because i've been able to take my entire map and fog out every single room and just unfog what I want with a single click as I as my characters go into the next room. Yep, actually, um, as you as you said, that is something you can already do. I remembered in the back of my mind, of course you can. That is what actually kickstarted the whole thing to 2.0 because that was a feature they added and then went, you know what, we could actually do this even better, but we're going to need to rewrite everything. Did you have anything you wanted to say on this, Ostrom? Um, not really at this point. I've only used it as a player, and there was that huge stretch of time where Owlbear Rodeo was basically broken for me, because... Oh, because of the Firefox and Chromium issue. Or something like on. that, yeah. My, my cache was corrupted or something, and it wouldn't clear. So. Well, the good news is with that, they are also re-architecting that side of things, so it is going to be even more browser agnostic than it was before, which is just going to be better for everybody. You're not forced into using a Chromium-based browser to get the best experience. Is it also going to be no longer cache-based when it goes to cloud? Yes, uh, that is another thing about it. Obviously, it's all held locally, so if you end up clearing your cache or you log into a different computer with 1.0, nothing will transfer or you will lose your data if you clear your cache. 
uh, with this, yeah, cloud-based storage, no matter where you log in as the DM, it will always be available. And that I am definitely looking forward to because mm-hmm. my players, at least one of my players, clears his cache every day, every night. He has it right. automatically done. And every time we have to play, he has to go back through changing his player name and uploading his token. And sometimes he puts in other tokens. And I think it's been getting a little tedious for him. Okay, I don't know if that wind is helping much. Maybe because we forgot to open a window. Oh, great. So we just blew the smell around everywhere. I'm going to go see if the smell has made its way down to the vault yet. No, 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 no. Let's not add fuel to this particular fire. Also, we've still got to get through the closing. By the way, what were you going to do with that bag? Start a mulch farm? Actually, yes. If by start you mean feed it to, and by a mulch farm you mean my patron's shambling mound. There was enough dead stuff in there to last a few weeks at least, or so I thought, but so much for that idea. Okay, the smell's getting worse. Can we get on with it? Yep. And so that brings us to the end of the 215th entry into our chronicle. We'll be back with our 216th entry on June 29th. But before we go, we want to know, for you, dear listener, how was the show? And as a reminder from last week, our community questions were, so what's your experience with Vecna? Has the eye or hand ever been something your character or party has had to deal with? What are your thoughts on his redesign and 5th edition incarnation? What do you think of the level 20 adventure? Is this something WizKids should be doing more, or is the audience for high-level adventures just too small? And have you ever accidentally eaten your dice? Have you ever done it on purpose? How did that go for you? Whatever your thoughts or feelings, let us know. You can comment on this show's post on our website, heroesrisepodcast.com. You can find us on all good social media at Heroes Rise D&D. You can email us, sendingstone at heroesrisepodcast.com. Or you can chat with us live and join the Heroes Rise community at discord.heroesrisepodcast.com. This show isn't just a one-way conversation, and we always love to hear from you. So take a minute and tell us your thoughts. Make sure you're never caught in the middle of a quest without us by subscribing to us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and anywhere else good podcasts can be found, or through our feed at feeds.heroesrisepodcast.com. And if you like the sound of what we do, there are many ways you can help support us. Heroes Rise is an official Dice Envy affiliate. Get yourself some incredibly awesome dice that will not only make you the envy of your table, but will also help your favorite D&D podcast. Just use our affiliate link heroesrisepodcast.com slash dice envy and be sure to enter the code heroes rise at checkout to save yourself an extra 10 percent you can also help support the show by subscribing to our patreon tiers start from four dollars per month and give you live recordings of the show before the wednesday release heroes rise t-shirts pins and a super secret patron lounge on our discord server plus occasionally you might get dragged into a recording or two for some dissonant whispers lucky you to become a patron, just head on over to patreon.com slash heroesrisednd. And if a financial donation isn't your thing, that's cool too. Every time you share our show with friends, family, or your friendly local gaming stores, you help our audience grow. And that's ultimately why we do this. Thanks so much for all your likes, shares, and retweets. We want to take a moment to thank our social media mage Ray Ray, our Conjuration Cabal, Bloodlake, Indigo Spectre, and Gath Memvar, and our audio agonists Mikey, Bramwin, and Tomasthenes. Special thanks go to our halfling moneylenders, Marty Chadoric, The Despoiler, The Hobbyist, Randall Evans, Brewhammer, The Sabi, Rat Queen, Amber Squirrel Craning, Strife, Cordron, Daft Crunk, The Record Spinning Economy, and our newest patron, the shadow known only as Azaral. 
Vincept for all the awesome music you've heard throughout the show. Be sure to check him out at vincept.bandcamp.com and Lowe of Lowe's Layer, the designer of our banners and avatars. You can find him on Twitter at Lowe's underscore Layer and Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Lowe's Layer. But above all, we want to thank all of you for tuning in and listening to our tales this evening. And until our paths shall cross again, fare thee well, brave adventurers. This is Lennon intro sync what uh, show sync what whatever sync one. <laughs> this is Ostron intro show whatever sync two. This is you. What are we doing again? Sync three. Exactly. And thing in three, two. And be sure to enter the code Heroes Rise at checkout. At checkout. What's check checkout? Checkout. It's like a checkout, but Canadian. Rat Queen, Amber Squirrel Craning, well, Strife, Cauldron. Oh. Hmm? What? <laughs> what? You, you cut out there for a really long time. We didn't hear anything you said time. for the past minute. Me? Oh, I've been talking. I have no idea what is up. I will go back and do that whole thing again. Beep and also beep.